my name is Dan. I'm one of the pastors here at Restoration. It's good to be together. Hopefully you enjoyed and took advantage of that one hour of sleep. I definitely did. Um, uh, we have been in our sermon series called We Believe, uh, looking at the Apostles' Creed. And this week we come across, um, I believe, in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. Now, I think the, one of the questions that I get most often from the Apostles' Creed is, why is the word Catholic in there? We're not Catholic, are we? You know, we don't, we don't, um, we don't follow the Pope and we're not part of Rome. And clearly, no. Uh, we used to, when it was printed in our bulletins, we'd have a little footnote with Catholic. Uh, Catholic and we'd always have in the footnote, footnotes, universal. And that's what it means, that we believe in one holy universal church. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning as we think about the church, us as saints, specifically as members of one household. And so if you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, and then we're going to look at verses 17 through 22. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to grab the Bible in front of you underneath the chair. And there you could turn to page 977, 977 of your church Bibles. And you can follow along with me as I read uh, this passage for us, as we think about what does it mean to be one holy, one holy Catholic Church in communion of saints. Starting verse 17. And he, being Jesus, and Jesus came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you and we thank you for your word to us. Especially we give you thanks that you form us and give us your word, not as just individuals, but as the body, the body of Christ, the household of God, uh, the bride of Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us, give us ears to hear, give us eyes to see so that we might be transformed and changed because you are our head, you are our Elder brother, you are our groom. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the last month, something really intriguing has happened to me, and this, this specific theme of home has been hitting home for me. Um, and I'll explain how, how that's happened. About a month ago, one of our members' dad passed away, and so up in Chicago, I went up there to not only support them as a family, but also to be involved in the service. And so that Saturday morning, I drove up and I spent a little time with my sister who lives in the city. So it's about an hour drive back into the suburbs uh, to be able to attend the funeral service. So, you know, I spent some time with my sister. I typed in the address to the funeral home and I made my way, my hour drive into the, into the suburbs. But about like 10 minutes to my destination, as I was on this local street, I'm like, wait, I know this area. This is the first 
home that I grew up in. And that would be the Thunder Bowl, Thunderbird bowling alley that we used to go to. And I'm like, I swear, like, this is pretty close to my first home in Chicago, going into middle school and high school. And so using my memory as my directions, I went to down this one street and made a right turn. And sure enough, at the corner of the street was the first home that we grew up in in Chicago. And so like any of you who might have experienced this in, in your past, you park in front of the house, you get out of the car, and you just start kind of walking around looking at the home and take pictures, right? Now I'm a little scared that like the, the homeowner's gonna think I'm a total freak, call the cops on me or something, but also there was a part of me that wanted him to come out so that I could ask them, hey, can I look inside the home? Now the homeowner never came out, but I took pic as I was taking pictures and sending it to my family, like there was a moment where I just paused and a, a rush of memories began to flood. Good, sweet memories and fond memories, but also of really difficult ones as well that I experienced in that home. Now, jump two weeks later, about two weeks ago, uh, our family did a little trip out to California to visit my, my parents and their new home. And I scheduled a time to get together with some of my buddies for a golf outing on a Friday, early Friday morning. So I typed the address to this golf course and same thing. This golf course was about 40 minutes away early in the morning and I start going out, get off the freeway and I head up this road and it's, a, it's an incline. I'm like, oh, this incline kind of feels familiar to me. And I see this convenience store. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's got to be the convenience store that I would always go to with my skateboard, with my friends and my sisters. And then I go up another block and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's definitely the grocery store I would steal things from, <laughs> you know? And like all of, the, all of this started coming back to me. I'm like, I'm in my old home that I grew up in as a little kid up through elementary school. And so again, I let my memory serve me as my directions. And lo and behold, after a few turns was a house that I grew up in as a little kid in California. And again, I did the same thing, you know, well, I didn't want to be a total freak and like see, think I was a stalker, but I took pictures. But there, like, I got really emotional because there was so many memories of my grandparents who have, gone, who have passed away, but also of some really traumatic experiences with extended family, with abuse and whatnot, that it just became viscerally, like, real to me in that moment. Now... All in the last month, I visited these homes that I stood in front of that, were, that gave me fond and sweet memories, but also really hard, traumatic ones. Now, why do I share the, this story of these homes that I grew up in? Well, what we just read is that Paul reminds us that the church is a home, that we are members of this household. And I think for all of us, we have memories of church, of our home being sweet and good. Things that we remember that we, we can reflect on with a smile that give us joy. But there's also memories of the church that we call home that are hard, that are traumatic. And maybe for some of us even here this morning, you came in with some courage, knowing that this would feel unsafe. Maybe because of what we have done to you, but also of your past experiences. And Paul must have known that. 
And yet he still uses this imagery of the household as being the church. Now what I want us to do is to hold these two things in tension because we live in a cultural moment that we are bombarded with the realities that church is hard. Whether it's abuse of leadership and of pastors or maybe your own hurt that you've experienced of things that have been done to you as a child or even in your adulthood. Church can be very, very hard. And what I want us to do is hold these two things in tension. That there is good, there's a reason why the church is our home and our family. But yet also realize like, what do we do with the tension that it can be so difficult, so traumatic that I don't want anything to do with the church and this household. And just spend briefly two points here looking at how we are one household, but secondly, that we are still being built together as a home. First, we are one household. Paul makes it very clear that we are one home. In verses 17 through 19, this is what he says. He says, and he came, Jesus came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Now, Paul elaborates that two chapters later, and I'm going to read that for us in chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. He says, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Meaning what Paul is making sure we understand is that we are one church. We are one family. Yes, there are many denominations, many theological differences, many different networks. But what Paul is making sure that we hold here is that we are one church with all the variety of differences that we might have. Some of us here, we look differently just from our skin color, right? We have different vocations. We live in different places all over the city. But we also hold different political views. We stand on different social issues. But what Paul makes very clear is that despite of all the differences that we all have, we are still one family. And the reason that that's so important is that what Paul then goes on to say in verse 19 is why that's so important is that because so then, right, there's a purpose, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. How is that possible? Because of what Jesus has done. Right before this passage that we read, Paul talks about how Jesus, Jesus' work on the cross, his blood being shed, broke down the walls of hostility, giving us peace. So the reason that while we are one family and hold different views, we might vote differently this Tuesday. But despite of those differences, we are one family because of what Jesus has done on the cross. His shed blood purchased us, the church, the family of God. And because of that, we need to hold the cross before us in our relationships together because we are still one family. So that means, what does it look like for us to be able to actually dialogue, love, show compassion, have peace? Because Jesus has done it through his shed blood, his body given for you and for me. 
And because of that, we can experience peace and love and compassion and understanding and and show charitability, right? We can do that. Why? Because of what Jesus has done for you and for me. We have to hold the cross before us at all times. And when we do that, there can be peace in this one household. One way that I think images this well is A.W. Tozier gives us this beautiful illustration. He was a pastor and author, but this is what he wrote. He said, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers meeting together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. Do you see what he's saying? What he's saying is that we don't obtain unity by pursuing unity together. No. We obtain unity by pursuing Christ together because he's the one that broke down the walls of hostility. He's the one that brought shalom and peace despite the differences. And that's what Paul is dealing with. Hebrew, Gentile, Greek, Jew, slave, free, men, women. Didn't matter anymore because of what Christ has done. And because of that, we are one household. Maybe some of us struggle with that, but we need to believe this truth, this implication of what it means to be one family. Now, family is hard like I described. Like I shared with my own story with traumatic events, how do, we make, how do we make sense of that if we're one family? Families are dysfunctional. Same with the church. But where does our hope come from? Well, it, it's the second point that Paul reminds us of, and it's that we are still being built. We are still being built as a home. Verses 20 through 22, you see this image of Paul describing a building being formed and joined together. And it's by the work of the Holy Spirit. Let me read this for us, starting in verse 20. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Meaning, the foundation of the family, the church, is the teachings of Jesus and what he has done for you and for me. The good news of the gospel. Through his suffering, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. Everything that we've been studying in the Apostles' Creed. This is the foundation, the teaching of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, right? We looked at that at the retreat. He is the main cornerstone upon which living stones, us, are being built upon him. And because of that, in him, in Jesus, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Meaning, Paul's saying we are being built. We're not done. The family of God is still being built now. And that as we're being built, guess who dwells in our family? God, our Father. He dwells with us. And the architect who is doing that is the Holy Spirit. It's through the work of the Holy Spirit forming us, shaping us with all of our messiness, with all of the ugliness. The church is being built and we are still being under construction. We are still under construction. So what does that mean for us to know that God has chosen the church to be his primary way 
of following Jesus? What does it look like with all the hot mess and the ugliness and your own struggles and some of the things that have been done to you? How do we do that in being part of the household? Well, some of us here, we might need to have boundaries. I have close friends of mine who cannot even open up their Bible. Dear friends of mine who cannot even kneel and pray because of the violence that has been done by pastors that they trusted to the Word of God or to them and the abuse that has happened. They cannot even pray or utter words because it is too hard to go to a God who says that He loves them. For some of us who are there, we need to take a pause. Others of us, it might be because of just our current culture where we are hyper-individualistic and it's just me and God. And that's a different issue. What does it look like to come under the church and to know that it is always corporate? It is always about a family. It's always about a body of members and the parts. For some of us, we do need to take a break. The way I think about it is like this. When I was younger, there was a lot of My home was really unsafe for me to be in. My own home, you know, where I grew up with my parents and my two siblings. It became very unsafe. And so without going into details, I felt like I needed to remove myself from my own home. And so I lived with a friend for about a year and finally re-entered into a home when I felt like it was a safer place to be. But I removed myself in a way that just didn't completely isolate myself, where it was just me and my buddy or just me and myself. But I, I had a hard conversation with my parents. And I said, I can't be here. I stayed in communication with them every now and then. Boundaries that were safe for me in communicating with them and engaging them. Same with my younger sisters. But what I did was I continued to at least have that connection to be able to still be away, but know that this is my family for better and for worse. And I think in, in, in a similar way for some of us who have been hurt where you come into this church and it feels so unsafe and so hard, maybe we do need to take a break. But what would it look like if this is the church and God has chosen the family to be the church of God? What would it look like to find a staff member or an elder or a pastor who is safe? Maybe it's not us, but maybe it's someone who is a shepherd who you can be in communication with so that's not just you, but you are in communication, in dialogue, where there is oversight over your heart and your soul so that you can come to a place of healing and come back and re-enter into the family and to serve her and to love her and to care for her and to be known and to know. But all of that is couched under the umbrella that God is still building his bride, his family, his household. And that work is the work of the Holy Spirit. John Stott, an Anglican pastor in England, said it this way in his book. He said, on earth, she, being the church, is often in rags and tatters, stained and ugly, despised and persecuted. But one day she will be seen for what she is, nothing less than the bride of Christ free from spots, wrinkles, or another disfigurement, holy and without blemish, beautiful and glorious. It is to this constructive end that Christ has been working and is continuing to work. 
The bride, the church does not make herself presentable. It is the bridegroom Jesus who labors to beautify her in order to present her to himself. That is what God, the Spirit, is doing. He is working and being, the church is being built, the family is being built to be presentable, to be beautiful, to be perfect again. In other words, the church is our home, but it's not yet finished. It's still under construction. Parts of our home are too ugly that we don't want guests to go into. Other parts of our home need to be just completely gut-renovated. But what we know and what the promise is, is that the Holy Spirit is working and it's going to be made beautiful again. And what does that look like for us to be a part of this family, to know that His promises are sure? Maybe we need to be patient, but this is the promise that God has given to us. So the invitation to follow Jesus and to be a member of His household does not mean that we have everything together, including our own church. Not even close. The invitation to follow Jesus and to join the family of God is to be taken by grace and know that it is only by grace that we can even do what we do here every Sunday and throughout the week. God is building his family and it will be perfect. Just yesterday on a Saturday morning, I saw my youngest reading a book and I didn't even know she started Harry Potter. <laughs> but I'm like, you're reading Harry Potter? Like, maybe I should read that to you at night now. She's like, oh, no, 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 no. I already know the ending. I read the last chapter. <laughs> Some of you probably do that, right? Sometimes it's, it's more fulfilling and more beautiful to know the ending as you read the story. That's the church. We are being built and we have a story that pictures the beautiful church as it should be. And that's what I want to do here, to know that, yes, it is being built to picture the beautiful bride of Christ. But we also need to know what the end of the story is. And this is where I want to end as we see the beautiful vision that John is given in Revelation 7. Let me read this for us, and then we'll close. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked, addressed me saying, Who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? He's asking about the church. The church in its beauty and its splendor clothed in righteousness. And I said to him, Sir, you know. And the elder said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Let's pray. 
Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that this is the promise that you give to the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. So wherever we may be, some of us hurt, some of us broken, some of us cynical about the church, this family, Holy Spirit, work in our hearts to know and be reminded of the promise that we are one church because of what Christ has done for us, and that, Lord, you are building and finishing the work that you began so that we will be made beautiful, glorious, perfect, not anything of what we can do, but because of what Christ has done for us. Remind us of that promise, even as we come to the table. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.